Hey there, my name is Hugo Prince. I'm the host of the Road to the IPO, the podcast of Entrepreneur Aguirre. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. I also want to let you know that the podcast, Road to the IPO, is not available in all the other platforms. iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Please, please rate the podcast on iTunes. Leave a comment. Let me know if it's good. Let's start the show. podcast is in English and I have the great, great honor to receive on the show Terry Linda. Hey Terry, how's it going? I'm doing good in yourself. Good, thank you. Thank you very much for accepting the invitation on the podcast. Yep. Um, so for those who don't know you, and I assume there is maybe not that much people, can you explain who you are? My name is Terry Lindor. Uh, I'm a real estate expert okay. uh, and an entrepreneur. And a diversity and inclusion uh, advocate. I, I like to think that I, I believe in diversity and more importantly in inclusion. Okay. And uh, yeah, business. I've been in business for myself for 17 years Very now, good. 16 years in real estate. Yes. And for the past, uh, going on two years and about four months, I've been driving uh, a conference series called Influence Conference. Okay. And it's kind of like a Canadian TED Talk for millennials and yes. for diverse Canadians. Cool. So before we talk about uh, your projects, entrepreneurship, I want to talk about your family because you have a big family of yeah. 10. 10 kids. Uh, yeah, 10 kids. And, and I saw that your parents, they gave you a lot of value, like a lot of uh, really, um, what's it called, discipline. Yeah. Yeah. So can you explain how does it need to grow in a big family? Well. When you grow in a family of 10 kids, the first thing you have to learn is how to share, right? <laughs> yeah. If you're not willing to share, you're not going to go very far in a family okay. of 10 kids. So the yeah. first thing you learn to do is, is really sharing. Okay. Uh, that would be the first thing. The second thing you need to do is, 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 is when you grow up in a big family is you need to learn compassion. Okay. And I'd say the last thing that I really learned growing up in a big family and to put your audience in perspective is you learn to speak your voice yes. and speak your mind because if you don't, you're gonna you're gonna get crushed mm -hmm. when there's 10, 10 people, ten different personalities, uh, you know, six girls, four boys, okay. uh, growing up in the same house plus two adults, so it's a total of twelve human beings in one space. Are you the biggest one? I'm the oldest son. Oldest yeah, I have an older sister uh, who's also an entrepreneur. Uh, but I'm the oldest son. I have a young. My youngest sister is 14 years old. So, okay. yeah, that's that's what it's like. Growing up in a big family is like basically growing up in a big neighborhood. It's like uh, working a big company. You gotta you gotta make sure you're you're heard and you make your space uh, felt. Yeah. So you talked a lot about your dad because I think he's a huge inspiration for you. Big time. Yeah, and he he gave you a lot of advice. What were the, those advices when you were younger? My dad and I, just to, to speak on this, um, when I grew up, I didn't like my dad. Okay. I actually didn't like my dad because my dad was the guy that, you know, smacked me around when I needed okay. to be smacked around, pulled my ear when I needed to right. be pulled ear. But now that I'm an adult uh -huh. and I have kids myself, I realize that all the values that he, he taught me okay. were extremely, extremely important. Yes. So one of the main ones uh, is definitely, uh, it's not who you know, it's who knows you, yes, yes, right? Yes. So making sure that you bring enough value to people. I know Barack Obama, he doesn't know me yet. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yes. But uh, it, it's making sure you bring enough value to people that they are proud to say, hey, I know this guy. Yeah. So, for example, today, if I don't bring any value to your audience, your audience is going to be like, who cares about this guy, okay, yeah. right? But if I bring enough value to them, they're going to be proud to know me. Yes. Uh, you're surrounded by a great team today. You have Sebastian, who's like a war machine, killing it, <laughs> gang, gang. <laughs> that's, that's, a bad, that's the best example. Yeah. Like, I did not know Sebastian. Maybe Sebastian knew me. But after today, if Sebastian does a great job, it's not who you know, it's who knows you, right? So I'm able yeah. to say I know him and he knows me back. Yeah. That's probably the biggest one he, he taught me. And uh, also, uh, always told me you're either gonna work, you're either gonna take risk or work for people that take risk. Yes. 
So those are the probably top two ones, and it's a fact. Everybody in this world either works for someone that's taken a risk or has taken a risk themselves. And, 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 and he told me, if you want to accomplish great things in life, you're going to probably have to do the latter. You're going to have to take risk yes. and be willing to bury the cross of, 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 of what it means to take risk. So these are probably the two biggest tips and advices my father smacked into my head Smack when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so I want to talk also about um, basketball. Yeah. Because when you say to your dad, dad, I want to become a pro basketball, Ooh. what did he say? Oh my God, <laughs> do we have enough time for this one? My, my father, uh, my father's an immigrant. Yes, yes. He grew up in Chicago, but he was born in the Highland of 80. Where are you from, Michael? Peru. From Peru, my guy, Peru. <laughs> so, like anybody that's from, um, you know, south of America, yes, yes. right? My father's from the Caribbean originally, you're from uh, Latin America. When you come to a country that is not yours, yeah. Your parents tell you either become a lawyer, a doctor, uh, or an engineer, yes. right? And then some, some of our parents are okay with teachers. Yes. None of our parents are okay with entrepreneur. Artists. None of our parents are okay with artists. <laughs> and none of our parents are okay with uh, athletes, yes. sports players. Uh -huh. Because where they come from, nobody does anything great doing these jobs, right? Then you say your dad told you to take risks, so as an athlete, it's a risk. Such a good point. Dad, if you're watching this, you're an hypocrite. <laughs> he, goes, he goes right. He told me to take risk on one hand, and the minute I take a risk and try to become a professional basketball player, you shit on my life. Now, all jokes aside, yeah. you're totally right. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think my dad understood the measure of, uh, of his words and the impact of the difference between what you say and what you do. Yes. So he would, he would always tell me one thing and then on the other hand, uh, you're right, he would discourage me to become a, 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 an athlete. And it's not so much that he discouraged me, okay. but he would warn me against the risk of failure, mm, right? Okay. So it's like, yeah, you could go ahead, you could definitely play basketball, but remember, stay in school, work hard. Yeah. Yes, take risk, but don't, put all your eggs into basketball. Yeah. And that's also something I didn't realize, but he was right. He used to tell me, your mind is gonna, is gonna be able to work for you till you're 90. Your body's gonna give up on you around 40, 45. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. Yeah, true. There's nobody besides baseball players, fat baseball players, <laughs> uh, and, and maybe you know uh, old uh, yeah. uh, Caucasian uh, golf players oh, that, yeah. are, that are playing sports past the age of 40. Mm -hmm. Whereas your mind, you could be a business, look at Warren Buffett. Yeah. You know, you could be a businessman until you're 80 years old. So again, those are values that I never thought about, yeah. but he was right once again. So yeah, definitely, uh, yeah, there's a dichotomy between uh, mm -hmm. saying take risk and then me saying uh, being an athlete. But basketball was, well, basketball was just like my father. My father's a very disciplinarian okay. kind of father. And when you play sports at a high level, uh -huh. you learn discipline. Yes. Big True. time discipline. Big so time. sports brought me that and you learn to communicate. Basketball is a tall man sport. I might look like I'm gigantic, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but I'm not. Okay. I'm, I'm only five foot ten, and uh, there's not a lot of basketball players below that height, five foot ten. You know, mm. the chance to make the NBA, I think, is one out of uh, forty million, uh, yeah. or even a hundred million. Okay, wow. And uh, the chance when you're below five foot ten, I think, goes in one, uh, almost a billion. So, yeah. at the end of the day, um, you, you have to count your blessing. But the discipline that sports brought me was, was tremendous. And communicating. As a small player, I had to learn to communicate and boss around the bigger players because I was like the quarterback. Okay, I was yeah. like the, the captain in hockey or the Zidane or the, the, the playmaker. Okay, that's the what playmaker. I, yeah, that's what I was. So when, when you become a playmaker, you learn to talk, you learn to assert yourself, you learn to give directions. Leadership. And those are leadership. Those are, those are qualities that directly translate into, you learn to motivate other people. Okay. That, those are qualities that directly translate into making a great entrepreneur in my mind. So did it change your life, basketball? Did it, did it change your life? 100%, 100%, great question, Hugo. Basketball changed my life because a, I grew up around marginalized people, okay. which changed my perspective on racism, um, you know, uh, 
uh, on on uh, the fact that you know we live in a two-sided Canada, whether we want to admit it or not. Yeah. I grew up playing basketball, which is a black man's sport. Yes. You know, so uh, all my teammates were black. We had one white guy and one Asian guy on the team. <laughs> so we, you grow up and you start to see, okay, why are black people playing more basketball? Why? Is there not a lot of black people into hockey? And then you learn that hockey is expensive. Yeah, it is. It's expensive sport to play. It's fucking expensive. We can curse here, sorry. Yeah, it's an expensive sport, you know what I mean? So because it's an expensive sport, the barrier of entry is an economic barrier, yeah. and then you don't see a lot of Latinos, Arabs, blacks playing the sport. But it's changing. But you know, it's, it's changing. also the, you know, the perspective that people have. If there is a Latino playing hockey, he go back to soccer, you know? Go back to play soccer. I, I don't know that it's that. I, 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 listen, I have a lot of, I've been blessed to, uh, as a real estate expert and founder of Ray Max Griffintown, yeah. um, I have a lot of clients that play in the NBA, okay. okay? And a lot of clients that play in the NFL. If they're buying in Montreal, chances are they're buying with us. Okay. And um, through the years of dealing with these guys and through talking with them, there's one thing I understood, a sports, we always complain, oh, NBA guys make too much money. Soccer guys make too much money. How come hockey guys don't make that much money? And the reason is simple. Hockey is not an internationally popular sport. True, yeah. And it's not internationally popular because it's expensive. Okay. So nobody plays in South America. Why? Because it's expensive to keep your ice going and to keep the gear and not get injured. Yes. So because you're not playing, the NHL can't sell TV contracts in mm-hmm. Latin America. Yeah. Soccer is watched all over the world. It's the poor man's sport. Yeah. Basketball, you could draw a square on a wall and throw a piece of rock right. and you're playing basketball. Yes. So anytime you have a sport that is a poor man's sport, TV contracts are exportable. And if TV contracts are exportable, yes. then the athletes are gonna get paid more. Okay. That's why a guy in the NBA that's not even an all-star makes $10 million a year. P.K. Subban, as one of the best players in the league, makes $9 million a year, okay. right? So that's, that's that, that disparity right there. Okay, cool. But I think at 21, you got injury. Yep, got injured. And you know, it's, there's a lot of athletes when they get injury, I think they stop like everything. They, they die. They know? get depressed. They get depressed. A hundred percent. How do you overcome that? When they told you, oh, Terry, your career is done. Yeah. How do you overcome? How do you pass by that? It's an excellent question. I, I went through a dark time. I yeah. can't lie. I talked about this recently. It was a mental health uh, day. And, yeah. and, and, you know, la, shout out to Bell Canada for the La Belle Cause. Yeah. Um, but I talked about, yeah, I was depressed big time. Because if you play basketball all your life, I've never been around entrepreneurs. I've been around illegal entrepreneurs. Okay. AKA drug dealers and crackheads. Yeah. So I've been around like, all the bad kind of entrepreneurs you okay. want, but never around positive entrepreneurs. I didn't grow up in the best of neighborhoods. So when, when, when you're done with basketball, in your mind, you played 16 years of your life. Yeah. Basketball, you think that, I've been playing since I'm five, six years old, right? So at 21, you're done, what do you do? So you go through a little depression, but then very fast, you, you pick yourself up because wah, wah, it's not gonna work for nobody. <laughs> nobody cares, nobody gives yeah, a right. shit. <laughs> I love what Gary says all the time, Terry, nobody cares. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're right, nobody cares, so you move on, right? So yes. at the end of the day, uh, that's, that's something that also helped me. The fact that I, in sports you learn resilience. If you're down by 20 points in the game, you don't stop playing, yes. you keep playing. And for me, getting injured was the analogy. I felt like I was down 20. Okay. And then, am I gonna win this? Like, how do I win this, you know? But very quick, I was like, okay, what, I, I remember writing down, what attributes do I have? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I could talk to people, I know how to communicate, I could sell stuff, but more than selling, I could communicate. Okay. I, I can resonate with people, I could positively influence people. I knew that just based on what I did on, this, on the basketball field. So I said, you were self-aware. Correct, okay. self-awareness. Gary talks about that a lot. Yeah. And I, I, was, I was like, well, if I have all these skills, I started to match, I remember doing the exercise, what job that pays right away can I do that matches these skills? Uh-huh. And it, it got me to a bunch of sales, like uh, pharmaceutical sales, uh, entrepreneurship was one, but I had no idea how to do that. Okay. And then I saw real estate, and I saw mortgage. And I was like, eh, mortgage. I hate math. Uh-huh. <laughs> real estate, let me try to jump into real estate. Okay. And you know what, it paid off. It paid off, it worked very well. I worked harder than everybody else. I, uh, I had very good convincing skills and yeah, I, I, the rest is history, 16 years later. 
But what can you say to, let's say, athletes that get the same, like, oh, your, your career is done and they get depressed, but they, they can't seem to, like, overcome them. What can they say? What can you say to them? Like, well, because you're very self-aware, but there's some people that are not. Yeah. So maybe there's somebody here that's watching this and say, Terry, but I, I can't, you know? Good, good point. The first thing you have to know is no one gives a shit. Like that's super important. No one literally cares. Okay. They might act like yeah. they care. People that really, really care, I'm talking about you're going through a depression, a mental breakdown. Are they gonna take time off their job, make an income to go and sit down with you and talk with you? So once you start to realize that people have busy lives mm -hmm. and you're no longer a child, okay. because that's one thing, when you play sports all your life, you tend to be privileged. Right? Yeah. So you have a girlfriend when nobody else has a girlfriend. You're popular when nobody else is popular. You have like an eight pack and everybody else is like out of, sh like they look like kids. <laughs> so yeah, you tend to feel like you're privileged. Yes. You see it, athletes that play NFL, they tend to grow up privileged. When you get injured and life smacks you in the face yeah. and life never says sorry. You're not gonna get a sorry from nobody. Yeah. Not from life, not from nobody. So when you realize that you have no privilege, I think you're, you're able to embrace the little privilege that you have, yes. which is what I did. These are my privilege. These are my aptitude. Okay. This is what I'm blessed with. Yeah. And you're able to run and you go hard. Okay. And what I did is I doubled down. Okay, you doubled down. I doubled down on these skills. I said, these skills are gonna make me or they're gonna break me. And they made me because I believed in myself. So once you're athlete, as an athlete, if your career is over, double down on your skills, realize nobody gives a shit uh -huh. about your situation, yeah. move on. The quicker you move on to the next step, and the quicker you realize that nobody cares about your eight pack, nobody cares how high you jump, how fast <laughs> you run, yeah. apply the skills that you got that are naturally yours, the yeah. ones you acquired as an athlete, and move on to this. And another thing, use your network. Yeah, too. My first clients were all my basketball players. All my basketball coaches were my first clients. Yes. In old Montreal, one of my coaches had a condo there, sold his condo. Actually, um, not his condo, but his son's condo, uh, Pierre-Luc Gagnon, yeah. uh, professional uh, skateboarder, childhood friend of mine. So the minute I graduated, Pierre-Luc was one of my first clients. Like, Terry, I'll trust you with my business. Mm -hmm. So use your popularity as an athlete True. to level up your, your your aspiration, whether it's business or entrepreneurs. Okay, cool. That's good advice. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, so you say that, um, thank you, basketball was your first love. Yeah. Entrepreneurship is your first marriage. Correct. Correct. Yep. And I'm not getting divorced anytime soon. <laughs> Because I know that you you were trying to study, to study psychology, you know? Yeah. At Banyi College. Yeah. That, right? So why entrepreneurship, Terry? Why? Is, um, why? Because it, it fits with what you have. Yeah. That's why. No, it's I, no, not at all. I think I think I I started out being a real estate agent, mm -hmm. and very quickly I was like, man, I'm nothing like all these agents. Like I. <laughs> I'm more entrepreneurial. I didn't really care about doing transactions. I cared about building relations. I didn't care about doing a sale or a purchase. What I wanted was to buy an entire office and buy an entire territory. So very quickly, my, my mentors in real estate, they said, you know, this guy's gonna be either very dangerous mm -hmm. or he's gonna be amazing because he has like aspirations to do big things. So for me, um, Vanny College didn't teach me entrepreneurship. I don't think any schools. Shout out to whoever's watching this. If you're, <laughs> if you're a teacher, yeah. I hope you're teaching differently. And if you're uh, an elected official, change the fucking way the system is because school doesn't teach you about credit, doesn't teach you about emotional intelligence, doesn't teach you about how to make a pitch. Yeah. I learned how to sew a fucking pillow. Like that's what I learned, how to cook a pie and do a pillow in, in, in school, in high school. Uh -huh. So my high school was kind of a waste. I think the whole system was, and Vanier did not teach me how to be a, yeah. a, a, a businessman. Even when you study in business administration, like you're, you're, you're learning a lot of theory, but you're not really learning a lot of practice. We should approach entrepreneurship like doctors do, where there's a little bit of theory and then you go right into the field yeah, and true. you go work in the emergency room. You know what's the equivalent of work in the emergency room? Go work in a startup. Uh-huh, yeah. Like your graduation should be uh, once you're done doing six months in a startup or go work in a failing company. A company that's about to crash. Oh, wow, okay. Like a company that's, go work at Tail Taxi. 
Taxi. How about you go do that? Go fucking work at Tail Taxi. Let's see if you're going to be a real entrepreneur. Go find solution uh -huh. for a company that literally got millions of dollars of public uh, uh, public dollars yes. and of our taxpaying dollars and go try to help them out to, to get themselves back up. Yeah. This should be the trial of fire that we teach in school, but we don't because it's a broken system. I don't want to sound like a violin, wah, wah, wah. It's a broken system, we have to fix it. And I think the best way to fix it is doing what you're doing. Yeah. Look at this podcast. Some people might sit down right now and be inspired, motivated, or learn more than they learn in, in, in their CJEP class, <laughs> or learn more than they learn in the university yes. class, right? So I, I think this is the new wave of teachers, of leaders, of motivators, of, of I hate the term influencers, but it's a term of influencers, people of influence such as yourself that are creating content. It's not necessarily paying as much as you want yeah. now, but you're playing the long run and you, you're, trust me, you're educating a lot of people. But you know what? I'm not, I'm, not doing, I'm not doing this to influence people, but people just see me on, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, say, you inspire me to do something. I'm like, okay, but what, that wasn't my main goal, but I'm glad, you know. Maybe I don't know for you. Like, oh, to me, that's my goal. Yeah, that's your goal. 100%. 100%. I'm trying to make sure somebody's looking at this right now. <laughs> Whether you're black, brown, yellow, doesn't fucking matter. You have some form of privilege. And if I could do it, then you can. That's my entire mission. I'm putting as much content out there. I'm sharing my good, my bad. Because once again, man, if you grew up like I did, yeah. I've been to eight funerals in my life. How many funerals have you been to? One. One. Mm. How many violent funerals have you been to? People violent death, dying of violent death. Zero. I've been to eight violent deaths. Okay. All right, two closed casket funerals. If I could be here, mm -hmm. own a building, own Ray Max Griffin Town, start businesses, anybody, anybody that did not grow up like I did, was surrounded by as much violence, has no excuses. Mm -hmm. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care. You're born in, oh, I'm born in Montreal, no. I was there. I'm born there. If you tell me you're born in Haiti and different, different countries that are a lot more difficult in terms of immigration, Peru, if you're born in Venezuela, if you're born in anywhere in sub-Saharan Africa right now that is going through the economic trials that's yes. going through, then we can have a conversation. Okay. But if you got yourself to Canada and we're having a physical conversation, I don't want to hear it. Because okay. if you're here, then you can do it. So it's period. Mindset. Period. I don't give a shit what anybody says, and that's another <laughs> part. That's another part of it. Yeah, I think entrepreneurship. I, I was at uh, with an elected official. It's like, yeah, Terry, what you do is very inspirational, and motivational, but we don't we don't think that that's important. Ah. And I said, how? I said, and I asked the person that was, have you ever had a business? He says, that's beyond the point. I said, no, that's exactly the point. Okay. <laughs> and I asked him that. I said, because you have the power to control the funding dollars that yes, you give true. to initiatives. Mm -hmm. And you are sitting in your desk right now telling me that inspiration and motivation should not or do not matter in an entrepreneurial journey or in a, a journey of an entrepreneur. You know nothing of what yeah. you're talking about. When you close a big client, you're there. Yeah. When you lose a big client, SMS, you're there. Yeah, true. So how do you pick yourself back up? Motivation. Motivation and inspiration. Yeah, so don't tell me behind your desk, whether you're at La CAC, Le Libéraux, or whatever, I don't care what political party you are. If you've never been in business, you wouldn't understand the importance of motivation and inspiration. And I'm just talking about, hey, you be strong, and I'm posing at the beach and flexing my muscles, and, and you could live this life. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like good quality podcasting, content information, if you don't believe in this and you're an elected official and you're only spending dollars on les ateliers and the workshops and panels with Alexandre Taifer and whatever, guess what? These people have shown us recently that they're not uh, the sum of, of entrepreneurship yes. like we thought they were. They yeah. are flawed. Trust me, they have motivation and uh, inspirational kind of things yeah. that they consume whenever they feel down. So. To me, uh, yeah, my mission is to inspire and, of course, positively inspire, inform, and influence people. That's our mission. Just a small break to let you know that World Today IPO has finally some sponsor. Two CM and Pony Sync, an accounting firm. Eve and Ali, one of my dearest friends, and they're very good accountants. They, they have helped me a lot in my accounting. As an entrepreneur, freelancers, even people that have nine to five jobs, you need very good accounting. So that's why I recommend them to CM and Partner Sync. So they're based in Montreal. 
So if you are from Canada and you're listening to the podcast right now, you can give them a call or go to the website that I will put on the description. I will put the link on the description. So if you tell them that you listen to the podcast, they will give you a free consultation. Yes, a free consultation. So give them a call right now at 514-318-3711. 514-318-3711 and let them know that you listen to the Road to the IPO. So let's get back to the show. You make $70,000 a year with my tax dollars, okay. right? And you're gonna tell me that you know more about entrepreneurship than I do. <laughs> get out of here, dude, or girl, or whatever sex you are. Uh, at the end of the day, you can't logically tell me, and that's another thing. Economic development at the city of Montreal, economic development at the provincial level, yeah. economic de- development at Canadian federal level, one of the first criteria should not be whether you are black, brown, homosexual, bisexual, binary, whatever, Muslim. The first criteria should be, have you ever owned a business? Okay. Have you ever created jobs? Yeah. If the answer is no, you can't work here. I can't go tomorrow to the Jewish hospital and say, hey, what's up guys? Where's the operating table at? Oh, you can't. I can't. Yeah. They're going to tell me, get out of here. Dude. What are you going to do? You're going to kill people. You're going to cut somebody's artery. Yeah. How come we hire people to do economic development, but they've never created economic wealth? Because they went to school. 100%. Thank you. They had the diploma. Thank you. And that's a big problem. It's funny because when I tell I'm, I'm trying to get to start my own business, they say, which university do you go? I'm like, no. Hmm. Uh, Concordia. I'm like, no. I just try to do some stuff, you know, by my own self. But whenever you try, I have my own business. Okay, which university did you graduate? Of course. I don't understand. You have your own business. I'm trying to, yeah. I'm a company. Good job, yeah. good job, I like that. Thank you. Brown, brown brother getting in business, put it right here. Bang, good job, baby. Merci. Et pas de quoi, mon pote? Um, so let's talk about um, Remax Griffin Town. Yeah, let's talk. It's the fastest growing real estate office in Quebec, am I right? It, it was when I started it, you know, Z went from two brokers to close to 32, right under, uh, our peak was 32 at a certain point. Now I just merged okay. with another office in old Montreal. I think we're close to 65, 68 brokers, mm-hmm. but I'm slowly getting out of, um, of that. I'm a minority shareholder now. I'm not okay. a, a majority shareholder. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think I'm, I'm gonna look at other stuff. You know, I, I, I will always do real estate. Yeah. I'm not a, let's be clear. I am not a professional, sorry. I'm not a real estate expert. Yeah because I have a realtor's license, okay. because I don't. I'm a real estate expert because of the knowledge that I have. Yes. Having a license as a broker doesn't make me a better expert. I'm an expert because I'm passionate about real estate. I look and read everything that yeah. there is about yeah. real estate. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of the, the trends when, when, when condos were, were not popular. I was already talking about condos. I was predicting that companies such as Airbnbs were gonna come. Like, Anybody that's been following me for long enough knows that this is my passion. I will never stop doing real estate. It's what brought me the opportunity to do other stuff. Mm -hmm. Telecommunication, modern media company like I have now with Influence, the conferences that we're doing. So real estate has brought so much in my life that I will never stop doing it. But uh, is it still the fastest growing? Maybe, I haven't done the the numbers to be honest with you. Since I'm a minority uh, owner now in the firm, uh, I'm focused a lot more on, on this and on the, my nonprofit, My Voice Matters. Yeah. Okay, cool. So before we go and talk about the influence, yeah. uh, this is a picture of Montreal. Correct. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the real estate market in Montreal. Yeah. Is it growing? Is it slowing down? No. What's your opinion? My opinion on the real estate market is very simple. The real estate market in Montreal is exploding right now. And part of that is the injection of foreign dollars into our ecosystem, uh, mainly uh, Chinese, Chinese, Asian. I don't like to just say Chinese, I like to say Asians, yeah? (laughs) Yeah. So the Asian market was very, uh, very, very attracted to Vancouver. Vancouver passed a tax, now they moved towards Toronto. Yeah. And Toronto passed a 15% investor's tax. And just for your audience quickly, 15% investor's tax is basically if you're not a resident of Canada living in the house, 
than if you bought a, a million dollar property, you would get a $150,000 tax. Okay. So very quickly they said, you know what, Let me, let, let's head to Quebec. Let's, to let's Quebec. head to the next biggest city yeah. as far as real estate goes, and it's Montreal. Montreal is one of the fastest growing city in uh, North America, okay. not just in Canada. And the price for real estate is very low. And also what's very appealing to the Asian buyers is the quality of the schools. Okay. Anybody that knows the Asian culture, which I grew up with Vietnamese uh, uh, friends, literally, I had more Vietnamese friends than any other culture. Yeah. Education, education is massive. Yeah, education. That's why, uh, chances are, if you went to school with somebody that's from the Vietnamese community, they're dentists today. <laughs> Chances are there's some form of, of field regarding like medicine or, exactly, right? Shout out to Dr. Bakni. And so at the end of the day, uh, if you understand the economic principles of education is important in the Asian community, uh, traveling is important in the Asian community, consumerism yeah. is a very important part of Asian community, chance is a very, so they, they're big on taking chance. That's why they go to the casino. They believe in chance a lot. They, 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 they believe in taking chances, taking risks. They believe in education. So coming to Montreal makes a lot of financial sense for them. So the Montreal market's doing very well, especially if you go in the condo between 650 square foot to 850 square foot, close to university, close yeah. to a metro, yes. preferably with a garage, you can't go wrong. You, you, in the past three years, you've seen about a eight to 12% appreciation on your money. Okay. So if you buy a $300,000 condo, downtown Montreal, three years ago, <clears throat> you're saying you've seen about $36,000 appreciation every year for the past yeah. three years. Wow. Yep, yep. That's big. It's massive. That's very big. Wow. Okay, so we are, right now we are in the second part of the podcast, and I wanna talk about the influence. Influence orbis, huh? Influence? Influence orbis, baby. So what is it exactly? Because I see it a lot on social media when I want to know really what it is, like what is intention of That's the secret. <laughs> <laughs> That's the goal. We want to flood people with, with our brand. We want to flood people with our logo. We want yeah. people to be like, what's this influence thing? We're so proud to see that a bunch of people are kind of like doing spin-offs of what we're doing. Yeah. We've never seen so many conferences since we started our own. And that to me is a positive thing. Uh -huh. I love that people are getting inspired and saying, hey, let's do something like that. The beauty with our movement, I think it's organic. We don't, we don't try to convince you to come. Yeah. We have a theory that we don't do client acquisition, we do client attraction. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna attract you to our brand, we're not gonna acquire you to, to buy into our brand. Influence is a modern media company that focuses on creating experiences, okay. period. That's, that's, the, that's the base model. Experience such as static experience, the photo, the, the pictures we put, the designs, the graphic designs. Influence such as creating an influential brand for somebody, whether it's for a company, whether it's for an entrepreneur that needs a whole brand, brand revamp. Uh, and obviously we're more, more known for our conference, which is what we like to call live human experiences, yes. right? But the analogy I gave to a news reporter in Ottawa uh, was the, the following, I said, People don't realize Forbes Media is a modern media company, right? Um, Vice Media is a modern media company. Yes. Forbes Media is known for its Forbes magazine. Yeah. But Forbes has a conference that uh, is an amazing conference, actually. Forbes has one of the top millennial conference in Boston year after year. It's an amazing conference. I advise anybody that... What's the name? Uh, it's, it's Forbes Top 40 or 40 Under 40. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So basically, they invite everybody that's under a certain age, <clears throat> and they do conferences. So Forbes is acquiring a lot of other media companies. Okay. And they, in my opinion, represents the epitome of what we're trying to get okay. to. They're known for their magazine, we're known for our conferences. Um, another great modern media company, Vice Media. Vice Media, yeah. Vice media is killing all the other media platforms. Why? Because they talk about sex, drug, and war. Yeah. We talk about inspiration, information, and positively influential people. Okay. That's our model. We, we don't talk about negative stuff, uh, we talk about positive stuff, whether it's in politics, whether it's business, whether it's uh, social entrepreneurship, whether it's everyday citizens. Yeah. That's what we do. Cool, and also because you're attracting not only local influencers, yeah. but also internationals. Correct. So they come here to Canada, they come to see really the country, the people, and that's why that's what is that's why it's huge. What Correct. Doing, yeah, yeah we're, we're we're definitely when we do our when we do the the conference aspect of our of our company, yeah. we do it a very well. I think. Yes. Um, we had Malala at the last event. <clears throat> 
And then people said, what does Malala have to do with entrepreneurship? We don't just talk about entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. We talk about people of influence, okay. right? International influencers, meaning local influencers. Industry dominating human beings. Yes. If you're in your industry, I don't care what color you are. Uh, of course, if you're diverse, we're gonna promote you even more because we believe that, you know, if I look, if I wanna see uh, just one type of people, I could turn on CBC. Yeah, true. I could look at Tulmona Pal and I'll see the same people every freaking day, <laughs> all day long. But how about we put a platform for young people? Yes. How about we put a platform for girls? Yes. How about we put a platform for Muslim women? Uh-huh. <clears throat> how about we put a platform for LGBTQ uh, community? So yes. our platform is for any and everybody that is dominating their industry that have something to bring to the ecosystem. <clears throat> and we do it on purpose to make them share the stage with a Gary V, Grant Cardone, Charlemagne the God, uh-huh. uh, Casey Neistat. Why? Because we want them to understand that they too can do that eventually. Yes. Mm-hmm. The ultimate goal is to influence each local ecosystem by bringing international speakers of influence. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. That's great. Um, there's another, another point that I want to bring. You know, you work at Redmax. Redmax is a big company. Okay? It's a big brand, yeah. It's a brand. And one day you see you wanted to start your own branding. Right? Yeah. And then they told you no. Yeah. And then you just say, fuck you. Yeah, Is I did. Right? Yeah, I did. They, I wanted to buy Raymax Quebec. They told me no. I wanted to buy Raymax uh, downtown. They told yeah. me no. And to be honest with you, I was either buying Raymax downtown, uh-huh. so the whole downtown Montreal core, or I was starting Influence. <laughs> okay. So you talk about like divine inspiration or divine signage, um, you know, Paulo Coelho, the alchemist. I recognized the sign. I try to buy Raymax Quebec, they tell me no. I try to buy Raymax downtown, they tell me no. Uh-huh. What am I gonna do, just be Raymax Griffintown all my life? I said, fuck that. I started Influence, never looked back since. Today Influence is mine and my partners. Yeah. We don't have to ask permission for nothing. Yes. We do what we want, we work with the people we want. And you know what? I'm having a lot more fun than doing the Raymax thing. Yeah. A whole lot more fun. You know, I have a couple of friends, entrepreneurs, that are still working in a company, but they're very scared to start their own brand, their own brand, you know? Yeah. Why is it so important to start your own brand, Terry? Very good question. The first thing you have to understand is, your, if I ask you, for example, what's the brand of your podcast? Entrepreneurship, influence, artists. I interview a lot of successful people. Success, I mean. Okay. What if I told you that whatever you just said is very nice, Hugo? Yes. Nobody gives a shit. Yes. <laughs> What's important is what the people that are watching, they define what your brand is. Okay, yeah. So well. even if you say, I talk about this, I talk about that, and I believe in this, if they think that you don't talk about what you say you talk about, then they know what your brand is. Okay. Right now, I, I don't want to pick on Alexandre Taifer, I don't want to pick on uh, Caroline Neron, but those are two figures from the entrepreneurial ecosystem that are in the news. They could talk all they want about what their brand is. What matters is what the public thinks their brand is. Okay. It shouldn't be like that. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, it is like that. So my advice to somebody that, I'm working at Deloitte, I'm working at KPMG, I'm working at the RBC, I don't know if I want to launch, start your own brand within the bank. Okay, within the bank. Stay at the bank, start to be a, a, a LinkedIn influencer. Mm-hmm. Start to be active on LinkedIn, active on Instagram. Watch what happens to your salary. That's the first part. Second part, I said it's not important who you know, it's who knows you. Yes. Watch how much your boss remembers your name. Your boss's boss is gonna say, hey, who's that guy that's sharing all these amazing articles, <laughs> that's doing these little vlogs about how to invest when in a down market, that's talking about bull and bear market. Who's that guy doing all these things? And then one day, mark my word, whoever's watching this, within your brand, somebody from HR is gonna call you. And you know what's gonna happen? They're gonna smack you on your hand. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's gonna be your sign that you've outgrown the brand you work for. Yes. Because if your brand that you work for does not understand that when you bring value to customers and consumers and people watching in 2019, you, you're gonna have to walk a thin line. And there's three types of people. I like to call them the three C's. Yes. There's consumers, curators, and creators. Sebastian's a creator creates content. You are a creator, you create a podcast. Then there's a second type, the curators. They take other people's content and then they share it. Okay. Not gonna name any names, we know a lot of people that do that. They'll take your content and they'll share it and they'll almost brand it as their own. Okay. The last part is consumers. Yeah. 
The consumers decide who Ugo's brand is. They decide who Sebastian's brand is, right? Yes. But when you are a creator, you're in charge of the narrative that you want to drive. And when you are working in the big brands, such as RBC, BMO, whatever, you're going to disrupt people because they're going to be scared that as a creator within a big brand, you're starting to have a bit too much power. Okay. And you're starting to maybe make too much noise. So you're going to cost them too much money when your salary revision comes. Uh, or you're going to take other people's position uh -huh. if it comes down that there's an opportunity for a vice president of whatever. Uh-huh. In 2019 and moving forward, branding yourself, it doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur or not, is one of the most important things you should do. Financially speaking, influential-wise speaking, yeah. and more importantly, power-wise. When you have a brand on social media, trust me, people within your organization are gonna be very, very careful about what they say to you, how they say it to you, and what you have to say about what they say to you. Okay. So at the end of the day, branding yourself is massive, and the minute HR calls you, because they will, I give you 24 months from starting from the day one that you're branding yourself on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, you're gonna get can you come in our office? Because we'd just like to talk to you about something. And that's a sign that you should take, a divine sign. If you don't believe in God, call it the universe. Yes. That you should potentially look into starting your own thing. Okay, wow. That's a good advice. I'm going to send it to all my friends that are scary to start their own brand. And now we have the last question on the podcast. So before that, where can people contact you today? Which platforms are you on? I, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, um, LinkedIn for sure. I uh, love LinkedIn. Yeah. I'm on YouTube as well, but not as much as we like, but we're working on something pretty cool. But the main one is Instagram. If you DM me on Instagram, that's what you did. This guy, man, he's a soldier, man. You go, don't quit. And, and that, that's, that's, I want to give you a shout out, Thank you know, you. on your own <laughs> podcast, because I know I said no a couple of times and you kept at it, kept at it. And sometimes it's not about the value you want, it's the value you bring. What? And Hugo did something amazing, yes. brought value to our movement. And I told him, if you bring value to the movement, I'll bring you value some way, somehow. And today we're here uh, because of Instagram, DMs and back and forth. And quick, quick story, that's how I got Gary V. Yeah. Just for all you guys, I DM Gary, worked him, worked him until, okay, you got five minutes, make sure you're in New York at this time, this time, made my pitch. He told me with a lot of words from the Bible in French, huh? <laughs> but in English, F words, you better not bullshit me, da 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 da, go, okay, good, you're on, I'm gonna be in Montreal, May, uh, May 19, 2017, the rest is history. So uh, don't be scared to DM people, engage on social media, yeah. man, you'd be shocked, yeah. you'd be shocked. You know what, it's funny because I met you in, in an event, and I say, Terry, I need you on my podcast. So, you know, you, you told me <laughs> you need to bring me by you first. So it was your event that was coming. Yeah. I said, buy the ticket and I will be on your podcast. I said, okay. It's so a true story. I, I bought my ticket, went to the event, sent him a picture, and he said, yes, so promise. Done. Deal. Promise to new, promise fed. Promise to new, promise fed. Because he said, and I told him, I said, if I go on your podcast, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I get the value that I could bring your audience. <laughs> I think I could bring value to somebody that's taking the time to listen to yes, this. Yes. But how about you reciprocate and show me how you could bring me value? And you know what? I think 30 minutes later, my team calls me and they're like, uh, yeah, ticket sales, you know, we go through the ticket sales of the day. And then your name popped. I was like, fucking guy. Fucking guy. And then you showed up at the event, you showed proof and everything. I was like, you know what? You go, you're my guy, man. And I, I support. Sometimes people talk a lot, but you know what's the best way to support somebody? If I want to support Sebastian, I should economically support yes. Sebastian. When you economically support somebody, no need to talk. People will respect when you, where you spend your dollar. And go where you're celebrated, not tolerated. Hey. Yes, true. Hey, the last question on the podcast is... You said that already. No, but it is the last question. And this is very important because I want to talk about... I'm joking, uh, Igor. <laughs> I want to talk, I wanna talk <laughs> about diversity. Oh, man. Yes. This is very big because I saw your post um, on Facebook. Something happening in the bank. Oof, big, big time, yeah. So that made me... Okay, I need to talk about this. And it's... It's gonna take a, like it's a subject that we can go longer and longer. Of course, of course. But I just wanna really talk, just like the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, right? yeah. To me, diversity is happening. Whether, you know, it doesn't matter Trump, all these guys don't matter. You, I, I just came back from Ottawa. Yeah. Federal Minister of Immigration. Ask you a question, and I hope your audience takes the time to think about that very carefully. 
What is the percentage of visible minority within Canadian millennials? Say a number in terms of percentage. How many of the, that's crazy, 20 to 35 years, 37 year old to be precise, 20 to 37, how many of the third 20 to 37 year old, we talk about millennials ever, their buying powers, how they're gonna change the world. How many of these people are visible minorities? And that's just in Canada, because North America is even and more impressive. How many according to you? 75, because I, well, my, in my own case, I'm always with millennials that it's my own, you know, Latinos. So, so yeah. you're going a bit apeshit here. Yeah. 75 is, is insane. But <laughs> the answer in Canada, <laughs> <laughs> the answer, that's a great number. The answer is 48%. 48%. So one out of two people uh -huh. either looks like Seb uh -huh. or looks like you. Okay. Period. Okay. In the millennial community. Okay. okay? In Toronto, you're right. It's 69%. Okay. 70% of millennials are either black or brown. Okay. They're either indigenous, Asians, sorry Asians, you're brown as well. You're, they're, they're either black or brown. So to me, how are we even talking about whether or not diversity is important? Are you kidding me? It's, it's, and, then, and, and people say, oh, there's more, uh, there's more women in politics. The U.S. has its first indigenous uh, congresswoman. The U.S. has its first Puerto Rican. Of course they will. And it's going to get more and more and more. In the next, that's just in the U.S. alone. In the next, by 2045, 24% of U.S. population is going to be Latin. Yes, that's it. 24%. 24%. 13% will be black. <laughs> and the balance is going to be visible minorities. Uh -huh. There's only going to be 45% of U.S. population is going to be white. Uh -huh, yes. That is going to be the first time in the history of modern America that Caucasian America is not going to be the dominant quote-unquote people. Yeah, well, you know what's going to be interesting? Mm -hmm. Eventually, the people that are going to be pro-diversity are the people that right now have the power. And then I will see this in my lifetime. In the next 50 years, when everybody's black or brown, white people will be a minority. And that's kind of weird because I think it's going to play a really weird effect on, on economics. Because yes. now the people that are going to go to Congress and say, hey, we need to have better uh, social this, social that, are going to be, I see it in Griffintown. You go to Verdun, yeah. you're going to see poor white people the same way you see poor black people. Yeah. I just believe that when we understand that diversity is not just the future, it's the present. Mm. It's not so much about colorism, it's a lot of time about uh, classism. And we're all, I bleed red, he bleeds red, you bleed red. Everybody bleeds red, period. I don't care what anybody says. But the really unification part, and the part that's really important, diversity is a reality, it's happening. Inclusion is a choice. Okay. You have to make the choice every day to be inclusive. Sebastian shows his inclusivity how? He's working with a black and brown guy. So he's an inclusive kind of guy, of course. If he wasn't... He comes from Gaspésie. God bless Gaspésie then. <laughs> and God bless your parents. No, it's true. It's very important. Because we have to stop the narrative also of thinking oh, all black and brown people on one side. No. no. There's people that are allies out there. There's people that don't, they don't see color. Or if they see color, mm -hmm. they don't think it should matter about whether or not you are good or bad. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And that's very important to recognize because real inclusion is a choice. Mm -hmm. He made the choice to walk in this office. Yes. He didn't have to. We exist. He can't take that away from us. But he made the choice to work with us, right? And those are the kind of people that I want to work for, for and with for the rest of my life. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you're, if you're like-minded as me, it don't matter what color you are. If you're cool, you're a cool guy. If you're a dick, you're a dick. And the guy that I met at the RBC, let's name a spade a spade, he's an asshole. Yeah, he I met an asshole. I didn't meet a white asshole. I met an asshole. Just to give some context, context you, you were in the bank. I was waiting to go uh, see the teller. Sorry to cut you off. I'm getting excited now. Go ahead. There's, a, there's a, 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 an obese uh, Caucasian male that got to, to the left lane and he, he tried to cut me off and, he, and then he started to tell me, uh, this is business, this is business, I, I have to go, I have to go. And it was my turn. I said, listen, I've been here for 15 minutes. I understand it's business, but just so you know, I'm here to do business as well. Yeah. He says, no, you're not here to do business. Yeah. Your people don't do business. People like you don't do business. And then I just lost it. And then I told him to back up. Um, nobody from RBC did anything. Thank God I had, once again, you want to see the proof? This is serendipity. White woman behind me. She backed me up. 
white male behind me. She backed me up and they called him out on his bullshit. You're lying. The man said, you just insulted this young man. Doesn't matter what color. That's a, that's a white man that said this. So it doesn't matter what color you are. The guy stepped up because the guy was a dick. Yeah. Period. Period. Being a dick, there's black people that are idiots. Yeah. There's white people that are idiots. My main thing was, and that's what I said on social media, I'm glad that it happened to me. Mm-hmm. Because when he started to lose his mind on me and I lost my mind on him, I said, you have too much gray hair in your beard to believe that I will let you disrespect me. Maybe in your time, back in the 50s, you didn't see a black or brown successful entrepreneur. But I do more for the entrepreneurial ecosystem. I told him this straight into his face, I was livid. I do more for the entrepreneurial ecosystem in one week than you'll do in a year. So don't tell me about what I do as far as being a business. You might be depositing a million dollars today. I don't care. I'm not about money, I'm about influence and power. When I pass away, I'm gonna be remembered for the deeds that I did and the seeds that I have. My kids and my deeds. And, and, and this guy felt like shit. After this experience, he felt, I guarantee he went home, maybe he cursed me out, but he felt like shit. Yeah. And it resonated with him. Yeah. So for me, diversity always wins, it will always win. Uh, we gotta be more diverse, we gotta be more inclusive, more importantly. And the last, last part yeah. is diversity also of age. And what I call generational diversity is yes, very important. That's, that's true, because yeah. not everybody speaks Spanish. Not everybody has a, a beautiful beard like uh, Sebastian. Yeah. Not everybody is Muslim. Not everybody wears a hijab. Not everybody is Jewish. But everybody was young. You were young. Yeah, true. I was young. Mm-hmm. He was young. The fucking asshole in line at the RBC, he was young. We were all young once in our life. Okay? Life. So we should always think that what he said to me, if, if I was 17 or 18 years old, it could have crushed me. I could have been, hey, maybe an entrepreneur, maybe he's right, business is not for me. If I'm a young woman, maybe I get out of there, I'm destroyed and I cry. Mm-hmm. I cry for days and days, yeah. you know? And that, that's where generational diversity is crucial. We, 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 we just gotta live together and be more inclusive. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. That's strong, that's very strong. Thank mm-hmm. you, Terry. My pleasure, Hugo. Let's do it, let's do your... Uh... Guys, I hope you guys had a good time. Remember to smile, stay influential. And, and at the end of the day, I'll add this one, stay inclusive. Hey! All right, thank you.